This is a juicy episode, so get ready. We are talking all about postpartum sex, how things can change after baby, what to expect, what to share with your partner about those changes, and what to do to support yourself in this season. On this podcast, we like to talk about the real, the raw, and the untalked about, and this is no exception. So here we go. Welcome to Healthy as a Mother, the podcast for becoming and being a mother with your co-hosts, Dr. Leah Gordon and Dr. Morgan McDermott, two naturopathic doctors who get it. Each week, we teach you how to be the healthiest mother you can be, from fertility and preconception to pregnancy and birth prep, through postpartum and throughout motherhood, empowering you with the natural health guidance and education you're not getting elsewhere so you can confidently navigate the broken system at large. The real, the raw, the untalked about. And remember, this information is not intended to diagnose, treat, or manage any disease. Always consult with your doctor before making any changes. Alrighty, here we go, you guys. This is a good juicy one. (laughs) Everybody always wonders, and we're here to tell. Let's talk about postpartum sex, Dr. Leah. Yay. Okay, so sex is something that I'm really passionate about because I struggled with painful sex for a very, very long time. And I never knew I would be on the other side of pregnancy saying that my sex life is better than it was before. And this is not always the case for women. So what we want to talk about today is how things change, how it's different after having a baby, what to kind of expect postpartum. And then if things are better, great, maybe why that's happening. And if things are worse, if there's pain, dryness, all of that, why and what to do about it. So the first thing let's talk about is the physiology that happens after birth. So as you know, and can chime in on, there are huge hormonal shifts that happen Mm post-birth, two of which are a drop in hormones, especially estrogen takes a deep dive plummet after you give birth. And for a lot of women, this is the hormone that creates vaginal lubrication and helps to plump up the vagina and all of the labial tissues that we have down there. So if ever you've been aroused and you notice that things are swollen or looking bigger, a lot of times that's blood flow paired with estrogen. And in pregnancy, a lot of women will notice that pregnant sex is totally different than non-pregnant sex as well. Yeah. 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 So that loss of estrogen, it can almost be akin to Postpart or um, postmenopausal when women lose their estrogen. Yes, it is almost. Yes, it yeah. is like a, a short time of that. And so something to be aware of. So for some women, you know, there's this kind of expectation in our culture and also in certain relationships that a woman's just always sexually available at every stage of her life throughout her whole period during pregnancy. Spoiler alert. It's not like that (laughs) postpartum. And, you know, there are some real physiological changes that are on purpose. So a lot of women will be frustrated or concerned, you know, that their estrogen is dropping or that they're having vaginal dryness or, you know, potentially even pain with intercourse. And unfortunately in a way it's kind of designed that way, right? Like we're not physiologically designed to then go get pregnant right away, especially in the early postpartum weeks and months. Yes. And so it's not shocking that a lot of women don't have a strong drive to have sex. There's so many things that go into that too. It's, it's partially your (laughs) daily life, right? Taking care of a newborn. It's so busy. It's so, and if you are breastfeeding, there's that aspect of feeling touched out. Like Mm -hmm. there's so much physical need on your body from this other person that sometimes you feel like not into sharing your body again Mm -hmm. with, even if it's your partner and you love them and it feels 
fine and good. It just can be that kind of physical cap out. Mm -hmm. But then in addition, it's protective of your baby that you do have that you're nursing. If you're nursing to not get pregnant again in that time period, because a lot of women lose their milk supply when Mm -hmm. they get pregnant. And so if you were to get pregnant or, you know, early on that new baby could potentially die from not having, you know, thinking about this without the modern day things of formula and et cetera. So there's reasons why our desires change so much. Mm -hmm. So we really want to be normalizing for women that it's not like there's nothing wrong with you. This is a period of time. Sometimes women do have like increases in libido or et cetera. We'll touch on that as well, but it is very, very normal to not be interested. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, you know, I'm someone who struggled with low libido for 13, 14 years of my relationship. And for some women, that's maybe the first time that they've ever experienced not wanting to have sex with their partner and their partner is very frustrated or confused by that new shift. And I think it's important that we do normalize and talk about the normal physiology of that. And that you mentioned it's a, an adaptive thing for our babies to protect them. And the hormone that helps us make breast milk prolactin Mm -hmm. naturally just reduces our libido. And it's interesting on two accounts. One, it drops our other hormones, estrogen and testosterone. And it also has an inverse relationship with dopamine, which is our reward neurotransmitter. Oh, interesting. yeah. That's how Vitex works to lower oh. prolactin that raises dopamine. It's a dopamine agonist. And so basically <clears throat> there are many mechanisms at play that prolactin is using to help you make breast milk, to help your baby, and also to not really stoke the fire inside of you to want yeah. to engage in sexual intercourse. Um, And so there's the drop in estrogen, there's the rise in prolactin, there's the feeling touched out and just like getting a lot of your physical needs met your baby. There's the sheer time, you know, between nursing (laughs) and trying to nap. It's like, when are you going to do it? And And exhaustion, exhaustion. And then there's like a real healing period of time, especially if you had a vaginal birth or even a C-section like I had, where even if something didn't come out your vagina, you know, a lot just happened there. And, you know, even if you love sex and you've always engaged in that with your partner, it can feel like a lot, especially the first few weeks. And something that sometimes people don't think about is that even if you have a cesarean, you will still bleed from your vagina Mm -hmm. for like, you know, a week or so. Oh, I bled for like six weeks. Yeah. Well, yeah. And sometimes (laughs) it can kind of linger as well, but some people think that sort of all of the vaginal pathways have been skipped or something. If you have a cesarean but no there's still all of that like the blood and the it's called lochia is Mm -hmm. that postpartum bleeding that happens that's totally normal and it has phases and changes out and everything Mm -hmm. but you can also still have painful sex after having a cesarean birth as well Mm -hmm. so let's talk about what happens if a woman is going to have sex and now it's painful whether it's vaginal or cesarean yeah again a lot of experience in my personal life with painful sex And for some women, the first time they've ever experienced that is post-birth. So it can be very shocking. And it feels like it's the rest of your life. Yeah. It feels like it's the rest of your life. And we're here to tell you that it's not, there Mm -hmm. are so many reasons why and how to identify those and support them. So the first can be that drop in estrogen that we talked about. It can make you dry. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who never really needed to use lube before, or was used to having plenty of vaginal and sex fluids, 
if that's not present, sex will be painful. And this is something I think people Friction. forget mm-hmm. that like you have to be very well lubricated. The natural physiological response of our body with arousal is to create enough fluid to have plenty yeah. there, but post-birth that might not be there on purpose. Again, we're saying yes. it's, there's nothing wrong with you. Yes. It's on purpose yeah. and it can make sex painful. So that's the first one just this change in hormones in general, you're just in a completely different state. And then there's the trauma, both physical and mental, emotional that we can hold in our vaginal tissue. And, you know, if ever you have had a sexual trauma that's outside of birth, you know, you might be aware of that, but trauma can happen even from pelvic exams at the doctor's office and birth is a very intense process. Again, whether you're giving birth vaginally or via C-section, there's so much happening down there. Mm -hmm. And what can happen is our body, you know, is very intelligent. And also it feels frustrating at times where it can hold trauma in our tissues. Yeah. And similarly to if you went and did a bunch of like muscle reps at the gym and you just like went crazy, you know, and the next day your shoulders hurting, you've got a knot in your shoulder. It's kind of like painful. You can hardly kind of use it, you know, your muscle fatigues and you can have knots and lack of blood flow. And those can cause pain. We can have the same issue in our vaginal tissues and in our labial tissues and the pelvic floor and the pelvic floor, which are all of the muscles that are holding that bowl. And we fatigue those in birth and in labor Mm -hmm. and toward the end of pregnancy. And it can cause this hypoxia. Again, we've talked about lack of oxygen flow to muscles can cause pain. Yep. And so that can happen with the pelvic floor as well. So sometimes it's not even a vaginal lubrication thing. Maybe you're making plenty of vaginal lubrication or you're using plenty of lube and it's still painful. If ever it feels almost like a sharp knife, like stabbing pain, our recommendation is to definitely get checked out by a pelvic floor physical therapist Yes, of someone who can evaluate your pelvic floor. This is different than an OB-GYN. So an OB-GYN is, or even a midwife. Yeah. They, they're not going to do this. Yeah. They can do checks for you to make sure that everything's healing. So well, there's no prolapse, yeah, that there's or no prolapse or that you're not hemorrhaging, you know, everything's like in that good place but a pelvic floor physical therapist Mm -hmm. is going to be looking at the actual muscle structures of your pelvic floor of the introitus or the opening of your vagina. And if you go to someone who's specialized in postpartum and or sex stuff, then they're going to be very aware of if your muscles are tight. Yes. If you have knots, if you have lack of blood flow, if there's anything from that perspective. And I have to say too, that I, I know that this can kind of sound like an odd, you know, like it's sex therapy and there's going to be somebody else's fingers in it's sexual and it's not at all. These are Mm -hmm. doctors of physical therapy that have additional training in the way that the pelvic floor and vag, you know, vaginal canal are affected by things like birth Mm -hmm. or in pregnancy in general, like you said. And so this is a very professional situation. Many are women and it's, I just want to encourage everybody to kind of open your mind to the idea. And in other countries, like in France, this is subsidized, paid by the government as part of your insurance package. After you give birth to a baby, I think there's, you know, a set number of sessions, maybe it's like three or four sessions or something of Mm -hmm. pelvic floor physical therapy that every woman receives or is offered at least. 
And that's because this is, they're recognizing of the fact that this is like a trauma as, okay, just the way that we know that when you're at work and you're stressed or something, maybe you're holding the, the tensions in your shoulder. Like you were saying about mm -hmm. muscle reps, same thing. We can hold the tension in our pelvic floor and our vagina but then also when you're just doing that acute work of birth, mm -hmm. there are things that are going to happen. And it may be as simple as the, the therapist puts on a gloved hand with some lubrication and inserts a couple of fingers into your vaginal canal and is feeling for the tightness, any mm -hmm. literal knots, like mm -hmm. muscle knots, mm -hmm. and they may hold the trigger point mm -hmm. there and allow that to melt away. You know, you're sending your breath into the area and they're allowing it to, and they're almost massaging or working out those knots. It's mm -hmm. not sexual. It's not mm -hmm. something no. like that at all. It's very professional. Mm -hmm. It's very for the purpose of mechanical, mechanically, you know, reducing these symptoms that we could be experiencing. Mm -hmm. They can also, something that's interesting to me, because I feel like this is not talked about at all. Mm -hmm. When I had my son, so I pushed for I think, three and a half hours. He was nine pounds, three ounces. He was a big guy. But afterwards I was having some painful sex and I, because I pushed for so long, I was really worried about things like prolapse. Mm. So I went to the, see this physical or a public floor physical therapist in San Diego, who I love Lauren at thrive physical therapy. I will <laughs> plug her. She's amazing. And she told me that my pelvic floor is too tight, mm -hmm. Oh yeah. which I was like, what? She was like, relax, relax. And I was like, I am. And she's like, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. And I remembered that in birth, my, my midwife saying, you need to relax this area, relax this area when it was time, time coming time to push. And I felt like I was, and mm -hmm. I, in the end I wasn't, and this was probably preventing, you know, his descent and my, my more functional pushing as well, mm -hmm. because I was actually holding a certain level of tension. I think Lauren told me I was holding almost like a 70% wow. contraction of my pelvic floor at all times. Yeah. So what she taught me to do was to have that proper pelvic floor health of mm -hmm. being able to fully con contract and pull up yeah, and, and fully release. relax and release. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much all it took. I had maybe two sessions with her. And then we talked about some diaphragmatic breathing things, never had painful sex again. That's amazing. And, and this is something, so I'm very aware of that because of my own personal experience with painful sex of understanding the pelvic floor very well. Yeah. And I do recommend if you're listening to this and you aren't yet giving birth to see a pelvic floor physical therapist before you give birth to learn yeah. that contraction yeah. and relaxation of the pelvic floor. That would be ideal. <laughs> yes. Because it is a, it's just like if you're going to the gym and you're trying to get your glutes to activate and fire for a squat, sometimes people will do a squat, but they're actually using their quads and they should and be using their backs. Glutes. Yes. And so you have to train your brain to connect to that muscle mm -hmm. to know how to contract it and relax it. And a Kegel, if, if you've ever heard of Kegels, Kegels are where people pull it up and just hold it. And that's often touted in the culture of women trying to make their vaginas tighter, mm -hmm. essentially, if like maybe you've had multiple children and you have like a really loose pelvic floor, it would be like akin to maybe someone who has really untoned muscles, you know, yeah, right. versus someone who does Pilates or is very like tight, you know, like their whole system and their body is really tight. That same concept can happen in the pelvic floor where you can be super tight, whether before childbirth or even after where you do contract that pelvic floor so much that it's like trying to, if you're having intercourse with a man with a penis, it's trying to push something in a very tight 
Yep. sphincter and that can cause pain. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> and so if there is the element of a muscle issue, a pelvic floor physical therapist will be able to identify that and either help you connect yourself with your breath or even teach you. And for me, I had to learn this teaching my partner how to help me relax and release those knots. Yes. Hopefully if you catch it soon enough with birth, you won't have a long long ongoing pattern of Mm -hmm. trauma, because what can happen if you don't address the pain is that maybe it starts off because there was a trauma from birth. There's a tight muscle, it hurts. But then if you don't address it, every time you have sex, it will reiterate a pain and fear pathway that then creates deeper and deeper layers that you have to work through. That's such a good point. It's like, don't wait. Basically like Don't don't, and just don't endure it. So a lot of women feel like, oh, this is just my cards now. And they'll just continue to have sex with the pain and just like go through it. And I can tell you right now, that is not what you should do. There are so many things that you can do to support yourself and do not get into that pattern of just accepting the pain because it will just create deeper and deeper layers of trauma, negative feedback loops. Yeah. And for your, if you're going to have other children, Mm -hmm. getting your pelvic floor back to the you know, pristine health as best as you can is going to help you. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was the biggest takeaway for me in my experience of it was that I learned how my pelvic floor is supposed to work in that full relaxation and the full contraction. Mm-hmm. And then when it came time for my next birth, I was so much better able to be con- connected to the way that that feels. It can feel vulnerable and scary when a baby's about to crown. It's like, oh no. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of want to just sort of suck up and like hold it, like, cause you're just preventing that mm-hmm. because it can feel so out. It feels mm-hmm. so loosey and, and it's almost like you're going to pee. You want to relax mm-hmm. almost to the level. And maybe if you'd even do pee, like, great, whatever, who cares? It's birth. Yeah. But like, I, I coach all of my pregnant, you know, clients or friends through that idea that when it's coming, coming time for this, you need to be able to have that loose floppy and just be, (laughs) just be. Well, and that's a great way. If you guys don't know what we're talking about of how do you know if you're engaging your pelvic floor or not, what is a pelvic floor? So if you go to pee, is you holding it? So you don't pee your pants, hopefully. And as soon as you sit down on the toilet and you're like, okay, I'm now safe to pee. You relax something that allows the pee to happen. That is your pelvic floor. If ever you stop your pee midstream, like if ever, if if you've never tried this, go to the bathroom, go to pee and halfway through your stream, stop it. That is engaging your pelvic floor. You're yep. And then relax it again and let yourself pee. That is engaging and relaxing your pelvic floor. And so it's the exact same thing. It's just happening on a, you know, bigger level, right. You know, yep. with birth and then with sex, obviously, um, but it's all integrated in the same place. So definitely identifying any issues with a pelvic floor physical therapist is huge. Again, being mindful of lubrication and knowing that there is a physiological reason for a break and to not make yourself wrong and potentially having that conversation with your partner before birth mm-hmm. to set expectations. Yes. Um, because again, some, if you're with a male partner who maybe has a higher sex drive, they just might not be ready for the shift. It can cause a rift for sure. And it can be very stressful because then, you know, they feel like they have needs that aren't being met. You feel like you're failing. 
because you're trying to take care of this baby. You're doing everything you can. Your body feels like everything else is using it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And it's like sex can just be another thing that feels like it's being, you know, used by some other person that isn't necessarily your want or your choice because Mm -hmm. your hormones aren't designed in a way for you to be like, oh my God, I'm so lusciously like totally wanting sex right now, you know, especially in like the first six weeks. Oh my gosh. Yes. I would say for the first six months Yeah, for a lot of people as well. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it can, it can be a runaway train too. people, you know, women will give birth. They have this experience of being in that very early postpartum period. They want nothing to do with sex. And then that kind of continues pathologically too long. Yes. So there is a point in which we need to make sex a priority again Mm -hmm. for your relationship health, if that is something that you're interested in, but we just want to encourage it. It does take some effort as well. Like Mm -hmm. you need to be cognizant of okay, how are we going to kind of work this in, in a way that feels good for me and for my partner? Mm-hmm. And like knowing that yes, life post children is different. It mm-hmm. is. Yeah. And sometimes that has no effect. I know many couples that their sex life is the same, if not better. And I want to touch on that too, because I know that it can absolutely change people's sex life for the better. Mm-hmm. Some also, there was a poll that was done recently and many women had never had not had sex at all since mm-hmm. the birth of their baby. Wow. And there's a lot there. There could, there's a lot of multifactorial reasons that that's possible. But I think that we would just want to encourage people that there is a normal period of time for you to not want to desire this. That's okay. And that there's going to be a spectrum of, you know, overlapping Venn diagrams of the way that it kind of integrates back into your life. And it can be a really, really important piece of amongst the trials and tribulations of parenting children. It can be a connector if that's one of your guys's love languages in your relationship. So we want to encourage you know, getting back to that intimacy in whatever form it is, maybe it's not even sex, maybe it's not intercourse, at least Mm -hmm. maybe it's something else. Mm -hmm. But so for those women, because I've definitely known many women and you are one of them (laughs) whose sex life is better after having babies. And that is so cool. And it's also not talked about. I feel Mm -hmm. like only ever do we hear that it's so much worse, so much Mm -hmm. worse. But I know people who it, the sensations feel better, their orgasms are better or stronger. They have more heightened sensitivity to other sensation, other you know erogenous zones on their body, etc. So mm-hmm. what is going on there? Yeah, it's such a good point, and I think you know for me that has been my experience that sex has been better post baby. And I just want to good for you. Woo, yeah. woo, that's awesome. I <laughs> yeah. just think that's so because awesome. I've had many years of it not being that way when it should have been normal, and I think part of it is because my husband and I have gained so many tools through our painful sex, low libido journey that we were able to quickly implement them as we always have post baby. It actually just worked this time. (laughs) And I think that's because my hormones were different, which I'll get into. But the one thing I want to back up on first is for people. So we've talked about how there is a physiological time to take a break. Yeah then there are physiological changes that need to be addressed, either extra lube or evaluating pain, pelvic mm-hmm. floor, that kind of thing. Once you're ready or once you feel it should be the appropriate time, maybe it's three months, six months, whatever. One thing I want you to remember is I'm not a relationship therapist and I'm not in your relationship, but a lot of women to your point and just couples in general, they do lose that connection with each other. And 
it's a very classic pattern that happens where mom kind of focuses on baby dad kind of feels a little left out he doesn't want to push her or like make anything she's obviously not a raging like high libido (laughs) and then maybe they're co-sleeping mom and baby maybe dad can't sleep because he needs to get up and go to work and eventually they just get separated and that separation gets bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where maybe it ends in a divorce or Mm -hmm. infidelity or something like that and I see that a lot in my patients and it's really sad And so it does take a conscious effort for most couples to come back together and create an intentional reconnection post baby. It's not like if you're just waiting for your own hormones to be like, wow, I just like really want to like rip your clothes off as I'm like dirty and have baby spit all over me for three hours. Yeah. It's like, if you're waiting for it to just spontaneously be that it might not ever happen. Yep. And so you need to maybe have a conversation with your partner before birth, or even maybe after check-in again of, Hey, what month postpartum should we reconnect and have a conversation Mm -hmm. about what's working and what's not because your partner is going to have certain needs and you are going to have certain needs, Mm -hmm. whether that is a need of not having sex and whether your partner is in need of having sex or vice versa, but you need to communicate and tell each other because what happens in relationships is that needs are there and go unnoticed and unmet Yep. until it gets to the point where it can't go anymore. And then they will find their needs elsewhere somewhere. Yep. And that is not good for you or your baby. Like if you ultimately love your partner and you care about your child or your children, you need to have a strong bond. That's my belief. I I fully agree. Your relationship has to come first and it can feel really, really tough. Well, we Mm -hmm. have individually, we have to come first. Mm-hmm. And this is the whole putting on your mask first situation. And we mm-hmm. talk about this in other episodes as well, like postpartum health and just being healthy as the mother, yeah. you know, and maintaining that. And what does that mean? And the self-care movement and all of those interlap intersecting factors. And then in terms of the family unit, your relationship, if you're in one, you know, is, is a sacred thing to be, like you said, we've seen it so many times now, we should really not like allow the history to continue to repeat itself because it is such a pattern. Sometimes we grow up and that's the pattern that's normalized, Mm -hmm. but we have to forge a new path for our own families. But we're not going to allow this to dissolve and just be disillusioned, even though it's tough. Maybe the intimacy is other sexual acts, or maybe it's weekly date nights and a Mm -hmm. friend comes over and you trade babysitting there. You know, you find a couple that you like yeah. And you babysit their kids and then they babysit your kids. Whoever it doesn't even have to involve like a lot of money, Mm -hmm. but something where it's an intentional practice Mm -hmm. because the time is going to just pass. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're going to look at each other one day and be like, who are you? Yeah, exactly. I don't even know who you are anymore. And that's so sad. So sad. So I, I always recommend people creating a container of time of when they're going to have the conversation of rechecking back in or checking in often. And I get that not all people's partners are good communicators. My husband was not either. You have to kind of train and encourage and, and do that of this is important. If this is important to you, if you want to have a sex life, like let's say you have, are in a, you know, relationship where you are with a male and it's important to him or if female too, but to just say, you know, what are your needs? How do we make this work? What are my needs? And then once you are ready, if you're like, okay, I am committed, he's committed, you know, enough months have gone by, but maybe you are apprehensive. You're afraid of the the pain, or you're just not sure how it's going to be. There are a lot of tools to help you in yeah. that. And you're not alone as well. They're not just like suffering behind your white picket fence. Like this yeah. is a really common story and we need to be talking about it more. Exactly. So I, like we said, 
seeing a pelvic floor PT, if there's any pain ever like to evaluate right away, don't just let that keep going Mm -hmm. on and on. Mm -hmm. Definitely using lots of lube, but the biggest thing is to help your body get into an arousal state. So I know this from my past work with painful sex and low libido is if a woman has a hard time becoming aroused, then sex is not going to feel good and it will be painful. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about the lubrication. We've talked about the physical trauma and the, and the physical like knots and pains, not having a proper arousal will also result in a either unsatisfied sexual experience or a painful one as well. Yes. And so because post-birth the hormones shift and change, it can be a little bit harder to mm-hmm. get aroused. Okay. And you're the way you want to be aroused may be totally different. Yeah. It might be totally different. Like for some women, maybe nipple stimulation was very important to them pre-baby and maybe post-baby it either feels weird uh, or yeah. it's like, don't touch my nipples. Yeah, Those are my, my babies boobs are off limits. Any moment that I'm breastfeeding, my boobs are not a sex organ, but for don't me, even touch me. And that's your experience. Yes. And for me, when I am in an aroused sexual state, I do want nipple play more now. Yes. Before than before. No, I always liked it in a sexual okay. state, but if I'm not too before, if I'm not in an aroused state hurts, oh. do not touch me. Oh. And so remembering these kind of things. And so for, for me, you know, in my experience, I can only speak to my own. The hormones of arousal are very interesting. Estrogen is one of them. Again, we remember that dropped postpartum. Mm-hmm. Your prolactin hormone is up from, from breastfeeding, which will drop estrogen and we need estrogen for arousal. Mm-hmm. So, oops, we've got a thing. So we've got to work around that. You know, obviously as time goes by, your estrogen will start to come back on, on board, but making sure that you know personally what is helpful for your arousal, because anything that is helpful for your personal arousal will help raise that hormone and help to get you in an mm. arousal state. So for some people that's, you know, reading erotica, you know, being right. in their mind for some people, that's novelty going on a staycation with their partner and like going mm. somewhere new, maybe that's getting a babysitter or a grandparent or somebody to watch baby. For some people it's physical touch. Like I want you to like massage me all over. I want you to tickle me all over. Some people they for need like a long time. for a long time. <laughs> for some people, they need that arousal to start all day. Like yeah. this is a conversation my husband and I have where it's like, it can't just be at nighttime a minute before we're going to have sex that you like touch my cheek and think I'm ready to go. It's like, yeah. it starts throughout the day. And this is having conversations with your partner of, I need you throughout the day to kiss my neck. I need you to hold my hand. I need you to tell me things. Yeah. You know, some people are visually or auditorily stimulated by being told that they're beautiful or that, you know, so the first step is for you to identify what is even arousing to you because you can't expect your partner to know if you don't even know hundred <laughs> percent, unless you have like an amazing, like French intuitive, like lover. <laughs> it's like, I know what you need without you even knowing it. And that's only probably for like the, one of those poor romance. people that like, <laughs> yes. can speak with them horse whispers. Yeah. And so taking the time to do the inner work, to find out what you love, then being able to have the communication to tell your partner what you need based on mm-hmm. what you love to help you get aroused. And for some people, it might be that they need extra support and help 
like a vibrator or a clitoral stimulator or something mm-hmm. like that, that can just fast track you to that arousal state. Yeah. Um, you know, some people can, you know, really the physiology of a female is that our, erosin- our erogenous zones are all over our body. Men do have erogenous zones all over their body, but they are much higher concentrated <laughs> into the genital area. Men are just so much more simple in they're a lot of ways. so simple. Women are very much not that way. We obviously have very strong erogenous zones in our genital areas, but for a lot of women, we actually have a better sexual experience if all of the other erogenous zones are stimulated first. Mm. So it's the buildup for a woman. If you look at the physiology of sexual response, the buildup is actually more important for a woman than a man. It's amazing that we even come together. I know we really (laughs) are really meant to be together. It seems like total silly. And so, you know, a man inherently it's, this is so complicated and gosh, I wish we could have like a whole weekend talking about well this. and we have other episodes about libido as well that will that they deep dive into these topics yeah but so. essentially if you're a classic feminine essence type and you are with a masculine essence man or woman let's just say it's a man and have always kind of defaulted the sexual experience to like them and whatever they want and do and you're kind of like whatever you think the receiver. like I'm such like the receiver and you're not asking for what you want you might not be in that state of arousal enough for it to be good. And so this is where you need to be communicating that where toys and other things can help is if you just feel like with all of the other things, you need some extra help and that's okay. That's okay. Postpartum. Oh my gosh. And I, just and anytime, s- anytime. Yeah. And I just want to say too, that like it, it, there's that gotta be people who are like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. Like how am I going to tell my partner this or whatever, blah, blah. And it's like, you know what? YOLO, this is, you have one life. Mm-hmm. We might as well know ourselves, which means, yeah, you're going to be finding this out on yourselves, AKA masturbation. Mm-hmm. So knowing yourself so that you can have this pleasure and this connective experience and it's okay. And then telling them, and it doesn't have to come off as a critique. It can say, I noticed that I really love this or when, or you could even word it in a way if, if words of affirmation are something that your partner enjoys, mm-hmm. you know, when you did this, I really enjoyed this and starting to encourage the behaviors that you like and not necessarily discouraging behavior. Well, unless it was super serious that you didn't like it or something, but you know, just being able to have that open communication pathway, not taking things personally, literally it's like when you go to a massage therapist Mm -hmm. and you're like, I like deep pressure. Don't touch my quadris lumborum, Mm -hmm. you know, Oh, focus on my neck and my shoulders. And they're not like, Oh, taking that. (laughs) You don't tell me how to give you a massage. I don't, it's like, well, if we want to make our partners feel good and we're using this as a connecting experience, all this information can just be useful to us Mm -hmm. to make the best experience possible. Yeah. And sometimes getting like, it's, it might be awkward. It might be awkward. And for that particular next session of sex, whatever, there might be some awkward weirdness, but then you know what, it's going to go away. So don't let that be something that impedes you from having this conversation mm-hmm. because of the weirdness of it, because you, you're you just not giving yourself a chance to have the full experience. Yeah. And this is one thing, you know, obviously if you talk to anyone who works with any humans, they're like, communication is key, right? but it is, <laughs> and, but. but it is in the sense of just like you said, um, you know, this is something we, we talked about this on our other libido episode too, of, you know, in order to have the desire or to have like let's say there's cake right and you desire the cake because you're imagining what it's going to taste like and then once you eat the cake you're experiencing it like an arousal and if the cake is 
crappy. It's a dry gluten-free, just full of Crumbly. just not good at all. There's like no sugar in it. It's just disgusting. <laughs> You're not going to be like, oh my God, I cannot wait to eat the cake, you know? And that's libido. We don't desire crappy cake. Yeah. And we don't have a beautiful arousal. Like your mouth isn't watering and like, oh my God, this is like the best thing I've ever tasted to like a crappy cake. <laughs> and so if you feel like you have crappy cake sex, <laughs> like you need to work on that yes. because trying to force yourself to have a libido and force yourself to be aroused for crappy cake isn't good either. No. And that boils down. We can go into all of this of like, if your male partner is more porn based and his arousal pattern might be taking those same patterns into you. And like porn is just not how normal physiological females respond to certain things. They don't know that. Right. So we have to train our partners. 100%. And just like you said, giving positive feedback. Yes. If it's like a very, like really horrible or like that was painful, like don't just like take something that's like painful or not good. But 100%. the approach that I've used in my relationship is we have the conversation ahead of time to say, Hey, when we have sex over the next like few times, I'm going to be like sharing with you what I really like and what you're doing that I really like. And if there's something that's like really bad, like that really hurts me or that's like painful or yeah, whatever, you tell like right you away. tell them, yeah. but it's really great for people's ego, whatever, to be encouraged to continue to do more of those things. Yes. And so, you know, let's say you have a sexual experience and maybe you mention, Hey, next time I'd love if you could like start like massaging my feet and maybe like touching my arms. Like it really feels good. They might not get that. Cause that might not feel good to them totally. because they don't have a rod or they don't think that that's going to turn them on. Right. Yeah. But it does. And so let's say for me, it does. And I, let's say he does it next time be like, I loved what you did, you know, with my feet. That was like, so amazing. Like, and really explaining to them, even if they don't receive in words, they need coaching. No mm -hmm. one, we don't go to school to learn health. We don't go to school to learn how to have a baby. And we Nothing. don't go to school to learn how to have sex either. No. Like no one knows this stuff. It's all us trying to figure it out. Yeah. Especially female sex. I feel like it's Especially. just an enigma. Yeah. Well, because you know, for the most part, men were in charge of everything. Mm -hmm. And so everything was designed around that model yeah, 100%. and it was just not proper for women to talk about anything or ask for anything Not anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's like a key part, communicating, sharing with what you want. And then if you do feel like you need extra support from like a toy or whatever, for me, this was huge. You know, there's two main types. There's probably a lot more, but there's vibrators. And again, our stimulation as women comes all over the body and it is much greater often if you can involve those erogenous zones, the nipples, the arms, the feet, the everywhere, honestly, we're erogenous everywhere, our neck, you know, we're just are, but Touch the, me literally anywhere, but the clit <laughs> is the erogenous, like hyper zone yeah. of the female and a man's penis is just an elongated clit. Just so you know, in mm -hmm. development, we were all female first and then testosterone makes that clit get bigger. And so you can use things to help you in that, you know, arousal. So there's vibrators that like vibrate. Like if you've ever like sat on like a vibrating thing, it's like, blah, 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 like back and forth. It creates a lot of blood flow for me in my past with painful sex that actually helped block the pain pathways. And it was the mm -hmm. only way I could get through. But honestly, there's other ways to support you. There was a survival mechanism I needed because I didn't have the other tools. But then there's other types of sex toys and tools that actually cause like a pulsing. 
And I personally think those are better from a physiological perspective. So they cool. pulse kind of like blood flow pulses in the body. Oh, it uses sense. like air to kind of pulse on the clit versus like like vibrating. Yeah. And that, in my experience, creates a more authentic and real life like arousal as if your partner was really good at like, you, you know, know, touching you, touching there. you yeah, there. So it'd be more net, like a normal. And some people have partners that do great, you know, Everything. they can do that with their mouth with their fingers and some people have partners that don't do as good of a job yeah and so or then, aren't as interested yeah or, or maybe they can't do it themselves and so this is when a time like that can be really helpful and especially postpartum because again like you're you are very likely to need some more support and help and mm-hmm. that's okay yeah so even if this is like the first time in your life you've ever used a sex toy in the bedroom and you're mm-hmm. like what is going on like why do I need this now or something it's like all of phases of motherhood it's this is probably a temporary thing mm-hmm. but maybe you like it and you bring it in or maybe you've been using them or whatever but like the idea of it maybe taking extra effort communication and all of these things is normal mm-hmm. and we want you to do it because yeah. we want your relationship to continue to thrive and amongst all of the other challenges that are happening. Yeah. And, you know, with motherhood postpartum, you don't have like four hours to like bathe yeah. each other and like essential oils and yeah. stuff. And so for me, <laughs> you know, the, again, because I've had such a long, long history of finding out tools for my own sexual stuff sometimes it is better for you and your relationship. If you can kind of fast track that arousal process and sex mm-hmm. therapists will be like, Oh my God, I can't believe she's saying that, that you need to have hours and hours of like touching. And yeah. I agree that that's ideal. That would be better, but and not the realistic. reality of motherhood is you might not have that. Your child might be down for a 30 minute nap and <laughs> you know, maybe this is your only chance. You're so exhausted by the end of the day that you can't do it at night. Like that's me. I'm not a good nighttime sex person because I'm just exhausted and your partner might be too. And they don't want to spend 30 minutes trying to like get you aroused, you yeah. know, and they're over it. And so using a tool can be really helpful. I personally really love the womanizer. It's more of like the, the sucking motion. And what it does is it just fast tracks that arousal process. If you're having a hard time, so you can get to the point where sex is good and it isn't painful. Right. We don't want it to be painful. No, 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 no. We don't want that. And so it doesn't have to be. And if it is, there's something going on something and you need on. to be looking into that because it should not be painful. It's just like with breastfeeding. They just say breastfeeding yes. should be painful. It's like, well, in the beginning, maybe it's uncomfortable because you've never done it before and you're kind of like learning it, but it should not be actually painful it really shouldn't yeah same thing with sex and so although there's you know some learning maybe that very first time you've had sex postpartum there's it's uncomfortable you're kind of figuring it Mm -hmm. out and then things can kind of soften up and you get to go but if you continue to have sex postpartum and it's like there this is not okay Mm -hmm. you need to be like looking into that and pelvic floor physical therapy is like yeah that's literally what it's for Um, And then also understanding the physiology around this so that you don't, you know, make yourself wrong or shame yourself or, you know, feel like a leper or something like it's not, it's, it's common. And so just to highlight kind of the spectrum that can happen outside of that is some women have postpartum depression and depression will 
very much greatly impact your desire for sex and your arousal process. And there is something off, whether it's a nutritional issue, mm-hmm. a neurotransmitter issue, a lack of support, yep. something. And again, I always seek women to get support for that. You know, again, there's different dynamics that can come up. A lot of times it is learned behavior from our parents. Maybe they modeled, maybe their mother modeled that, you know, her her partner, your father, if that's how it went down, wasn't important, you know, Mm -hmm. after kids were here and it just is a learned behavior. Not even, it's not even conscious Mm -hmm. that you kind of push the partner away. You're not taking time for, you know, intimacy or anything like that. So just checking yourself, doing a self-evaluation. And then for some women like me, it's better. And why could that be? So my sexual issues really started from birth control really dropping my testosterone and binding up all my testosterone with raising something called sex hormone binding globulin, which impacts you forever. Even if you get off. Yeah. For some people it can be forever. And for me, I guess birth reset it, but that, I don't know if that will happen for every person, but it did for me. And that was amazing because I tried everything else. And so having adequate testosterone now in my system helps me to create vaginal lubrication and get into an arousal state. I couldn't before much quicker. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. And then just having libido. Cause that's testosterone. Um, and then the other thing is I personally think, and this is a theory I'd have to look into it is, you know, in our sexual experiences, we do still do a lot of nipple play once I'm aroused because I'm getting help potentially from, you know, the womanizer of the oxytocin release yes. from nipple where, stimulation. Where there's so many receptors, as we know, from all of our yeah. physiological birth And maybe it's higher postpartum, at least for me, 100%. than maybe it would have even been before. Yeah. And now you're you're even like really experiencing that it feels so much better. Yeah. That's so cool. I also did a lot of trauma work during my pregnancy to release my past trauma with sex, which is amazing. Yeah. So emotional freedom technique type of things where basically we get into the subconscious brain and release traumas. And so I think it's a combination of all of it. And I highly recommend whether you've had any sort of trauma, painful intercourse, sexual trauma, do the work before you get pregnant or, or while you're pregnant, before you have a birth, or if it's, if you've already had a birth, or even if you, your trauma is now from birth, really work on trauma therapy and healing any of those subconscious things because sex is so complicated (laughs) and it is so not on the surface. It is between the ears more than it's between the legs. Yeah. And it is just, it's a complex relationship dynamic with two partners having all of their own experiences and I just really encourage you to get support at whatever journey you're on and don't think that whatever cards you've been dealt are just like what you have to live with forever. hundred percent. It can be changed. You're such a testament to that. So I know it's so cool. I finally met success story. (laughs) I was like, Oh, it's never going to be, that's going to be the thing that's never going to fix for me. And it's just like so exciting that that pregnancy and birth and that work that I did is, is really helping. So I'm just going to be a hope for other women who are going through that. That's beautiful. Yeah. And so, you know, that journey. And the other thing I want to bring up is if your partner is triggered by any of this to encourage both of you to either go to a sex therapist or encourage him to look at some things because we are all humans having a human experience with our own triggers, traumas, past, you know, stuff. And sometimes we as women maybe are navigating our partner's triggers 
when really they're not ours, they're our partners. So Mm -hmm. for instance, a lot of men in particular feel very threatened by bringing sex toys into the bedroom. Oh, like they're not good enough. Mm -hmm. Like they're not good enough. It's competing. You know, she likes this more than me. And because of that, maybe you can't get aroused and you have painful sex. That sucks. Yeah, that doesn't fix the problem. (laughs) So like you as a woman, encourage your partner to work on his triggers because ultimately it's just hurting you from him having a trigger that he's not willing to look at. Right. So sex is complicated. That is complicated, especially postpartum. And Mm -hmm. it's also a temporary thing. The the thing I'll, I'll leave with too is just the idea that so many people, and you're not there yet, but so many people when they've weaned, really notice a rebound in their Mm. kind of traditional sex behaviors, arousal states, as all of those hormones start to go back to those pre-pregnancy states and then not being in the breastfeeding state as well, Mm. that a lot of people find sort of themselves Mm post-weaning. And I will say, I am sort of a testament to that. When my brain, I love to be able to breastfeed my babies. I have a love-hate relationship with the whole process just because of my predisposition towards mastitis. But when I wean, it's like so many levels of my brain changes again. And Mm. it's so interesting. I mean, we know this too, on MRI studies that maternal brain changes are so real and they are actually forever. (laughs) You have a baby and your brain changes forever. (laughs) But I do think that those inner, that the way that that interplays with layers of hormones being in different states, hormones are so important. They change and manage everything in our bodies, especially our brains. And so there is hope on the other, at the end of the tunnel, if you are like hating everything to potentially when you wean things, maybe may go back to normal as well. So yeah. Thank you, Dr. Leo. This is awesome. This is such a wheelhouse. You have so much to say. And I, I love know. that you're a testament to like the way that things can be better, which is not what we hear ever. And so here we are to say it. Yeah. Scream it really. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to end with this statement is if you are in a loving relationship with someone you care about and you want that to continue, I highly recommend prioritizing date nights from like three months onward, even if sex is not a part of it to just create the connection and the, you know, make it work. You have a grandma come a friend do, like you said, it doesn't have to cost money. Uh, It doesn't have to be for long. You can even like be in the backyard when someone's in the house, if you're uncomfortable leaving them, but just create intentional time for you and your partner, because that is so important and the foundation for things moving forward. Fully agree with that. Yeah. Right, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Healthy as a Mother podcast. In order for other women to hear this information, please leave a review with Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and send to a friend who could benefit from this content. We're so excited to share more on becoming and being a mother next time. And remember, a healthier future starts now and it starts with you. Please remember that the ideas and views presented in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for medical care of any kind, including the diagnosis or treatment of any illness or disease. Consult with your provider before integrating this information into your own care plan. Now go have a wonderful day. You've got this.